0: of Christmas is I really enjoy just being with my family, uh, setting up the Christmas decorations. And as, as I mentioned, we set it up like a, a few weeks ago. Uh, we uh, just uh, is the Christmas shopping. Uh, and Christmas shopping is something that gives me tremendous stress. Uh, probably more stress than, you know, going, going up here and preach. Um, it gives me great stress to go into Target or go into half price bookstores and to get stuff and to, to, to fight the crowds around me. And so this time, it was, it was time for the kids to do some Christmas shopping. And with, with Joanna, my uh, daughter, when it comes to shopping, she's like a heat-seeking missile when it comes to shopping. She knows exactly what she wants. She's locked on, locked and loaded to, to know what she wants to get for her three other brothers. So when she went to the store, she was so focused, it was actually daddy that got distracted in half-priced bookstores, in the antiques and collectibles uh, section. But with Caleb, it's completely different, because when, when I'm shopping with Caleb, he's like a squirrel, and he just like, he just His eyes dart everywhere, and he gets so distracted by everything because, you know, and he always looks at all the toys, he talks about this, and he talks about the significance of this, and he just goes off. So when I went to um, shopping with him in the store, before we went into the store, I had to fight distraction together. First, I bought him a pretzel and an icy, (laughs) which is probably not the best uh, fuel for not being distracted, and I said, you know, if we want to focus, we need to be able to focus Here's step one. Don't focus on impulse buying. And only buy what you can buy that's within your budget. And we got this whole talk as we've talked about how we save some, we give some, and we spend some. Don't go over that budget because you have not only your sister, but you have some other gifts to, to buy for your friends. And so the first test was the stocking stuffer section in, in Target. And uh, thankfully, he looked. And he passed with flying colors. So far, so good. And then we went to the toy section. (laughs) He must have made it actually a good amount, which was about 10 minutes before he completely just lost it in the Lego section and went on and on about this uh, starfighter that he doesn't have and completely got distracted by the Legos that he's been wanting. And that's where I had to really just reel him in. And um, because the longer you stay there, the worse it actually gets, right? And so afterwards he did great, even getting out of the candy section, which is also a very dangerous place in record time. Well, what do we learn from that? God gives us the greatest invitation in the world found in this text about what we are to ask for as members of an eternal kingdom. God gave us prayer as a direct line in which we can engage our commander-in-chief, where we can engage the king of the universe to ask for more resources to be able to fight this spiritual war that we're doing. Yet as many Christians, it's almost like we are sauntering down the, the, the half-priced bookstores aisles seeking to satisfy and contend to satisfy that we got a great deal or that we, got a, we, 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 can, we, uh, we satisfied our passing desires. And, and, and to ask and seek and knock is only in times in which we need to knock out everything on our shopping list. And we have to ask ourselves, when was the last time that I was desperately starving for God and not just his gifts? There was, this, there was a line that I was reading from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones and that just convicted my soul to the very core. And he said this, the most fatal thing in the Christian life is to be content with passing desires. And I was like, oh, that was powerful. When was the last time that I had let my passing desires just like a kid going around in a store And being distracted by all the different things in the aisles. All the eye candy that money can ever buy. When was the last time I really craved God? When was the last time that I really starved for God and his presence? When was the last time I wanted to pursue God himself? Think back to the last time in which you perused the store And you were actually happy that you didn't walk out with anything. Where in my heart? are we in the shopping aisles of the world and we're caving in to passing desires of our hearts and we're like C.S. Lewis talks about that we're far too easily pleased well we need to be so starved for god that we operate as if not by the flesh as Jennifer talked about but we operate in the spirit that there's nothing short of god that we would ever want we need to be in a place where we're not just spiritually hungry, but we are absolutely desperate for him. And Jesus, in his passage, in the Sermon on the Mount, has basically said in the opening line, come spiritually starved. Only then can we understand what Jesus is actually commanding us to do here. And so there's two surprising things about God that we see here that our passing desires would rather us not uh, believe. What are they? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 11. Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 11. And Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will you, Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? At first glance, Jesus' invite can be seen as a blank check. Just go ahead and put in your order and ask anything. God is like the genie in Aladdin. that will grant you what your heart desires. You'll get whatever you want on your silver platter. Just ask anything. So when we think about that and when we're tempted to think that, we've got to check back to the context of what Jesus was actually saying and look at the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount. And so do you remember Jesus' first words that started off the sermon? Well, it's in chapter 5, verse 3. In chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus lays it out for us. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven translation, we need to come to God and we need to not come to God with our fine clothes and our, our fine linery and our self-sufficiency, but we need to come to God completely bankrupt, completely needy, completely weak. And for, I think, a lot of us, that's not something we like to do very much. We like to, uh, no matter where we're going, we like to put on an appearance or put on a show that, hey, we're doing well. Or, you know, there's nothing that's really troubling us. Or uh, that whatever stress that we had from our kids or from life or from work, you know, we could just kind of shovel it and just put it under and bury it. And we can just kind of act like everything is good. But not when we come to God. Because when we come to God, we need to act as if we are spiritually starving. And I don't know if you've ever seen anybody starving, but they're not concerned about what they're wearing. They're not concerned about looking good in front of people. The only thing that they're looking for is one thing, for food. And that's the starting point that we need to be coming to in this sermon. Jesus says that we need to be so radically dependent, just like this starving a person who is starving so that we can be faithful in in temptation, that we are faithful with them, that as we are codependent on him, or uh, we are dependent on God, that we are coming just like a weak, a needy, and a poor, um, hungry soul just wanting to get bread. And as we look through the Sermon on the Mount, we see our prayer lives, and we see the boundary markers through the Lord's Prayer to pray. We say, Our Father, we are asked to pray, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. And so it's saying, and Jesus is saying that as we are looking at ourselves as completely needy, as completely starving, as completely bankrupt, then our prayer should be simply this, that we should want God more than anything and our priorities should be shifted onto what glorifies God most, on what pleases our Father most, what advances his kingdom and his name the most where his will needs to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our concern should be in the darkness of the world. It should be concerned with the poverty of the world. It should be concerned with the unengaged, unreached people groups of the world. It should be engaged in the darkest darkness, as we like to say it here at Hope, because that is where God's heart wants to to go, to spread his light of his glory, of his gospel, and to bring redemption and healing. And so, Even in this prayer, in this so familiar prayer, it is completely, radically inverting our priorities. That we're not praying about what we want. We're not going down the shopping aisle and asking God to fulfill our wish list. But now it's almost as if we're praying for God to give us what we need to be able to advance his kingdom and to be faithful to him. It's more along the lines of the the lines that we are fixing our eyes so that we can be, as we are faithful to him, that we're fixing our eyes on a good and faithful father. And the more we know him, the more we are immersed with him, the more we are starving for him, the more we will see his heart and his priorities, not ours. So in the surrounding context, we just see, uh, even last week, we saw that Jesus had instructed his disciples to not judge others, to save their judging until they have judged themselves. And then, on the flip side, to te- also have spiritual discernment on which to hold the gospel before people, which is the supremely valuable thing, or, when they reject it, when to move on. And the, the, the point is that people will li- really never see what is valuable, and people will reject the message of the gospel of the kingdom. But now he switches back in verse seven as if to say, well, you don't give pearls to pigs and you don't throw what is valuable to dogs because it's gonna be trampled and you're gonna be attacked for it. But you know what? You've been given something immensely more valuable and that's the glorious gospel of the kingdom. And by grace, I've opened your eyes to anyone who has trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. I've opened your eyes to that value And as you depend on me, as you begin to fixate your priorities and fix your lives upon me, you'll be able to live out this kingdom if you ask these requests. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And everybody who uh, searches or seeks for, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus' idea is this, that our Heavenly Father, who loves his children so much, will not only answer the persistent prayers of his children, but he delights to answer the persistent prayers of his children. That's his heart. And God rewards our persistence for prayers far more than what we would expect. Jesus says, keep on going. This is why the commands here are in the present tense command form, which means, or can be translated, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And after you have done it, do it again and again and again. Because it means that we are so dependent on God that we need to continue to ask, continue to ask, even when there is no hope left, because it shows the humility and that we're depending on God, that we're completely needy. And then the seeking shows a desire to discern God's will and direction, but it demands that constant focus on things without getting distracted. And then knocking, it shows a marked persistence, right? A marked persistence in that asking and seeking that you're never going to stop until you get that door opened. And Jesus says that this type of humble persistence is a mark of a Christ follower. This should mark us in our prayers. Not so much that God wants to give us what we have ever wanted, a new house or financial breakthrough or satisfying jobs, even though these things are truly good. And if God gives you that, praise God, that's awesome. But the Lord Jesus is asking us, don't worry about these things. Put the kingdom of God first and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about the basic necessities of your life. God will take care of it but I have more awesome and consuming and powerful things in store. And that's for the advancement of my kingdom. That's what God wants us to say. We need to ask and experience, God, you will do this. You will do these things, God. But Lord, help me to remember that my passing desires are just that, just passing desires, How many of us have gone shopping and we we felt like we wanted something only to be able to pass it up and the next day we've completely forgotten about it? That's kind of like the things of this world as we're shopping through the aisles because our hunger is not built for things. It is built not for the things of this earth, but it is for a relationship with God. It means that you have a hunger to, above all things, to have a fellowship and a relationship with God himself. And it's, if you've ever had a, um, a, a job opportunity or a career change, and, you know, it just becomes this passion in your life that it becomes the only thing that you're thinking about, right? It's the only thing that you're dreaming about. It's the only thing that you maybe talk about it for a while. And your whole life is centered on that one very thing they would like to have. It's an all-consuming passion. But yet, in the same way, in even a greater way, we need to have a hunger for God because he is the only one who can satisfy. He is the only one who can take the passing desires of this world and to replace it with a more passionate, all-consuming desire of knowing our God and our Father. And in this time of thanksgiving and in this time of... Um, Great busyness and in this season, I'm just wondering and I'm asking this question of myself. Of when was the last time that I actually starved for God? That it was the only thing that I thought about? It was the only thing that I wanted in life? It was the only thing that controlled my mind and my priorities? When was the last time you opened the Bible with so much passion that it woke you up at night you couldn't even go to sleep again because you wanted to be with the Lord? When was the last time that you woke up in the odd hours Of the night, and you just wanted to commune with your God. When was the last time you were starving for the presence of Almighty God in the fellowship of His gathered community? And where have we rebuked the passing desires of our hearts so that we can say, with the psalmist, Nothing on earth that I desire besides you, Lord, whom have I but you? That is that's God, and if we're really quick to, and honest to ourselves, I think the Spirit of God beckons us and calls to us to be able to near, be near Him. And He says that so much to us, to be able to abide in Him and just to, to bask in His presence. And doesn't the Spirit whisper that to us more than we care to, and, and more than we care to admit that we reject it because of the lies of, well, we're too busy, or we got too many things going on. Or maybe some of us don't come to them because we believe the lie that we've sinned so badly that God doesn't love us. So many times we understand God's, uh, misunderstand God's heart that we think we can't go to them because of all the guilt and the shame and, and the deepest sin and shame and guilt that we are facing. And somehow we think that God's heart is less tender the more we get older. And maybe you're kind of like me where I was thinking that God, man, he's just plain tired of us. You know, there are days that I start off doing and doing great and I'm communing with the Lord, I'm caring for my kids, I'm vacuuming this and I'm, and I'm getting my work done here and I'm feeling so good about myself. And then the day kind of takes a dovetail and I get frustrated or I don't get work done or my kid says something and I have to discipline them and I don't, and my anger gets the best of me. And then, man. I start getting short with my kids. And that's happened multiple times in the stress of this week. They may ask me a simple request like, hey, can you fill up my water? Or, you know, daddy, can you um, help me with a shower? And then I'll just go off on them, and I'll give them a long lecture list of everything of why they need to be able to do things themselves and why do they have to depend on daddy and they shouldn't have to bother me. But really, the only thing that was threatening was not their independence. It was my comfort. My source idol. But God's heart. I'm so amazed by this. God's heart is not like my heart. And God's heart is not like your heart. God's heart has no limits. We have no we have limits on our love. For some of it's about ten minutes. But God the Father has no limits. God the Father loves us, and he loves his children. As Dane Ortland writes this, he says, uh, Jesus can no more bring himself to stiff-arm you than the loving father of a crying newborn can bring himself to stiff-arm his dear child. And his brothers, sisters, and church family, is there room in your doctrine of God for that kind of love? Is there room for this passionate, unending, unyielding, heartwarming, passionate, eternal, invincible love of the Father? And have you basked in him today? Christian, we need to repent of our low thoughts of God. His joyful love grows deeper with each passing day. So bask in the Father's passionate love Understanding that as we ask and as we seek and as we knock, God is not saying, no, or don't bother me. I'm too busy. But God is saying, come. I love you. I delight in you. Be in my presence. Ask. See my heart. See who I am. He loves it when we persist in prayer as we ask and as we seek and as we knock. Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is illustrating here uh, this point, um, that God is a greater giver than you can ever imagine. Jesus is saying, put God's love another way. Suppose your son asked you for bread. What loving father in their right mind would do to trick him with a stone? Or what if your son asked for a fish and you gave him a really poisonous snake? You know, both of these examples seem to mock the kid's hunger, not to satisfy it. But we know no loving father would make such a terrible mistake, right? And then Jesus makes a very pressing point. If you then, who are evil. That should just jump out at us. If you then, who are you? You are evil. In other words, Jesus is also saying, hey, I'm not like you. I am, I am human like you, but there is one thing that distinguishes me from you. It is my sinlessness. It is my perfection. So this is on you, right? But he points out that we are evil because even in the root, at the root of it, at the root of our core, it's not just we have sinful behaviors. We are, at the core, we are tainted by sin, by a desire to disobey and to come against God's rule and rightful rule and reign over our lives. But even you being evil, even you being tainted by sin, you know, good dads know the difference between a good gift and a bad one. And if that's the heart of evil dads, think of how the father who is not evil is perfect and loving in all of his ways. And think about how this loving heart of a father is a greater giver than anyone in this universe. If earthly dads would not try to trick our own kids, who is our father, our heavenly father, who would ever, ever dream of mistreating his own kids? And how much more beautiful and good everything that we receive from his hands. And so if you know how to give good gifts, which I I think most of us, all of us do, and the evil heart inside of us does not hinder even that giving. Imagine what greater gifts the Father who is in heaven gives to those who ask them. Do you believe with all your heart that this is who your God is? That he's an unabashedly good giver and can never make a mistake on what he is? Do you believe that he is a God who is infinitely good? Listen to Martin Lloyd joins again. He says, quote, because God is your father, he will never give you anything that is evil. He will give you only that which is good. One way the enemy loves to make us disbelieve that truth of the goodness of our Father is when the lights go out. And maybe some of you just in who are in the Jersey Village area. You know, had your lights turn out? Well, maybe it was just our block. I think, uh, but our entire block went out around 10:30 p.m. And it was so easy. Even though it was late, I mean, we could have just went to sleep right away. But it was so easy for us to kind of resort to complaining. We grumbled about not being able to take, well, I grumbled about not being able to take showers uh, while they were still light. We were grumbling because in order to report a power outage, you, you can't just do it online. You've got to call them. You know, we were grumbling because, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, be fixed till like 1.30 in the morning, and then I had to put on the dishwasher later. Complaint after complaint after complaint, right? I mean, that's just our nature. <laughs> but how about you when there's a power outage in your own lives? Isn't it so easy to say lights out to the goodness of God? All of a sudden, we are not sensing the goodness of God in the midst of our trials, in the midst of hardships, in the midst of anxiety or stress or whatever has you at that moment. And we doubt his presence. We doubt that whatever he's doing is for our good and for his glory. You see, when God takes away the precious gifts, it's so easy to do lights out on the giver. Oh, I guess God is not that good and he's really not worth it. What matters what I watch on the internet? I could just send my fill and do my thing. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm so angry, I can just say whatever I want to my boss and be done with it because I am just had it. You know, the darkness plays games with us. It plays games with the goodness of God and it makes us cloud ourselves to seeing God as the giver of all good gifts but it's precisely when we are given trials, it's precisely when we come to the point where trials are not pleasant, that we can come to a point where we're not enamored by the the things on the aisles of our stores in the world, and we can focus on God, and we can come to terms and grips with God is good, and that God is can maybe come to a point in which as we go through that trial that we can come to a point where these trials were not pleasant, after all, but we come to a point that we can thank God for them. God did not give us trials in spite of his goodness, but because of his goodness he allows us to endure. And maybe it was just to bring us to a point of absolute neediness on him, which I think is one of the big points of the Sermon on the Mounts, to bring us to our knees to show how much we really, just really, really need him. And I wonder what that looks like in your life today. If this passage says that God is a greater giver than we can ever imagine, what is God giving you right now in the form of trials? Where is the power outages in your life that is making you say lights out on the goodness of God? Perhaps God just wants you to bring you to a point of even just humility of just saying, God, I cannot do this without you. God, help me, please. Maybe just uttering those words and just calling out to the name of Jesus and, and God will minister to you in a powerful way. Or maybe it is a time in which you are struggling financially and you're just saying, God, I don't know what this looks like, but God, help me to be faithful to look and know that you are good. Maybe in the midst of these trials, God is trying to reactively shift you to be able to see the face of God, the greatest giver himself. In the midst of your darkest valley and the most pitch black night, that he is all you need. And to show you that that's what your soul is starving for, for God all along, and he'll give you more of himself than you can ever imagine. I mean, I was just listening to the testimony, I think, of Lindsay last week and just how what a struggle it was for her to get people to come out to to young life and in the midst of that, yet at the same time, as she was faithful to God, that she felt the presence of God with her more than as if she wasn't uh, serving God in that area. But that was in the hard times. And in the darkness of her life, and the same thing for you, if we would only ask, keep, ask, keep asking, and keep persisting and keep knocking. And so you know, I, I had an experience of that uh, when I was a kid. Um, I think it was my 10th birthday. And I, I had watched back to the future, and that was like my ultimate favorite movie, especially when uh, Michael J. Fox starts playing "Johnny Be Good." And I was like, oh, man, oh, man. That was when I was like, I was, that, that, that's when the Lord hit me. He, he parted the clouds, and he said, you know, you're going to be a guitar player. <laughs> no, he didn't give that. But he, he basically, that's where I wanted to be a guitar player for the first time, because I wanted to play like Michael J. Fox. And so my 10th birthday, my parents knew that, and obviously they weren't going to give me a, a guitar. I was playing trumpet at the time, and, you know, they're not one to, to, to go all out. They are probably some of the most frugal people on the planet. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so, but I remember that day uh, where it looked like, the, the gift it was wrapped, and it was uh, it looked like a guitar. And I was like, oh, Lord, have mercy. That is awesome. I was looking for this, and it, when I opened it, you know what it was? It was a guitar, but it was a guitar box, there was nothing inside. It was one of those hot licks electronic guitars that you push the button. And it wasn't, you know, it had like a tremolo and all that stuff, but it didn't really have strings on it. But anyways, it just it was just a box, and I was just so disappointed with my parents. And I was like, what are you? Why did you just give me a box? Like, what kind of what kind of Christmas gift is this? What am I gonna do? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna use it to play my cars, my Hot Wheels in, and make a you know make a, a garage out of. What are you doing? And uh, they said, look at the card. And the card said, look in the closet. <laughs> I looked, took one glance at them, and I was like, oh, is this a joke? And they're like, no, just look in the closet. And when I ran to the closet, there's that guitar. And, you know, I just realized how easy it is for my own heart to think that my parents would just, would just have such an evil heart of just giving me a box for Christmas. But in their hearts, they had so much more. That's the heart of of our Father for you. There is no greater analogy, there is no greater story that can illustrate the greatest gift that has ever been given to us. That while we were yet in the darkness of our own sin, that we were captive to our own flesh of just doing our own thing and living for our own lives, God in love had planned it all from the very beginning. And he said, I'm not going to let my precious child miss out on the glory of knowing me, on the, uh, seeing my glory and, and knowing me and loving me and feeling my love and my heart for him. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago to be born of the Virgin Mary, to be cradled by, baby, by, by his mother Mary, to be completely helpless and needy and weak so that he can grow up and be the Savior that would, by one death, by his own death, take upon our rebellion and our sin and our shame and our guilt and take it all upon him on the cross and exhaust all of God's judgment that we were rightfully owed to God and we should have been paid back. Let's spend an eternity paying back against God because of the unrighteousness that we have done. And Jesus took upon it, absorbed the wrath of God. And then on the third day, he rose again in victory over sin and Satan and all the enemies. And he inaugurated his kingdom and he has invited us into his forever family for all those who have put their trust in Jesus. Hope family, that is a gift beyond compare. And that is something that our hearts Should be just enraptured by and basking in today. So, I want to encourage you as we invite the music team and the prayer team, as we think about the great gift of the giver. He's already given us his greatest gift, and that is Jesus Christ, his son, right? And if God has not spared his only son, his most precious, his most, uh, the most precious part of the Godhead himself, but his own son, how much more shall he give us all things? Let's all stand and let's remember the greatest gift is the gift that has already been given to us, which is Jesus Christ himself. And as we uh, pray, we're going to invite um, all those who are um, needing prayer and asking for prayer to come forward. If you are in a, in a point in which stress or the anxiety of this season has riddled you, just want to invite you to come to prayer. If you are just going through lights out in a season of trial or darkness, that you just need uh, another brother or sister to be able to speak over you and speak into you blessings, we want to invite you to come and pray. Uh, Just like always, we just ask that one man and and one woman not pray alone together, but in any other combination. And so let's go to God, our heart, uh, go to God, the heart of our Father in prayer as we continue to ask and seek and knock. Father, I pray that, Lord, in the midst of all this, in the midst of this hectic and busy season, that we would know this, that you are a good, good Father, and your heart is a heart of unstoppable love for us. Lord, help us to start with that posture that you're not disappointed in us, you're not cold to us, you have not grown less tender to us, but you love us, you delight in us as a father over his newborn, and you will not stiff arm us, No matter what it is, no matter what need we have, no matter what we are going through in this time, no matter if there's completely darkness and pitch black in our lives, you will not reject your child. You will not turn a deaf ear to your people. Father, I pray as we come, that we come with a heart of humility, a heart of repentance, and a heart that seeks to know you. Thank you, Father. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name.